Holy Father, when your Son was here in our midst, he made a promise. We need to hold him to that promise today. Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. Dear God, let that be our experience for the next few moments. You've been mixing everything up and scrambling our agenda. Our ears are, are bent low to hear what you would say this time. Please, through Holy Scripture and the lifting up of Christ, speak to all of our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to cut straight to the chase. I'd like you to open your Bible, please, to the Gospel of St. John, chapter 18. We got a few paces into the sermon first service, and it was clear, very clear in my own mind and heart, that God was saying, good points, appreciate the angle, but not today. And so we pushed it all aside and uh, the quartet came up at the end and sang and there's no way you can replicate from moment to moment what has happened. And then I want to go back to at least the framework. What would have been shared, we'll get back to, I promise you, before this spring is over. But I want to go back to the framework. Because it occurs to me that God has, while we've gathered here to think about the world out there in mission, God really is saying, wait a minute, I need you to think about the world in here, inside your own heart. And so open up your Bible to the Gospel of uh, St. John chapter 18. I want to work my way through a very familiar story. You've been there a thousand times before, but maybe this is the time you and I need this encounter. It is clear he has never seen him before. <laughs> and I tell you what, looking at his face now, there would be no way he would have recognized him anyway. A lip half torn, drooping on one side of his face. His cheekbones smashed within hours of this moment. And now that very familiar, well, if you ever go to the Am Amnesty International webpage and you look upon the faces of the tortured, you have seen this face before. Bloodied lip, black and blue, caved in cheek, one eye darkened, both eyes bloodshot. He wouldn't have recognized him had they met yesterday. So change now is the visage of the prisoner. The governor obviously is furious about this rude early morning summons. He stands there with his clean Latin sheen of nobility. 
His toga has been hastily wrapped around his just seconds ago slumbering form. The governor stares into the eyes of this prisoner that has been brought right on the second in which Roman court can be convened. You cannot call court before 6 a.m. Impossible. Imperial law is clear. If there is to be a trial, it has to be the first minute, at least, at the earliest, after 6. You look at the faces of the strangers gathered, gathered around the prisoner. They are no strangers to the governor. But you can look into those eyes and it is more than evident these boys have been up all night long. Their countenance, countenances are stretched as tight as a rubber band. Their mantled, bearded eyes peering out at the hastily awakened governor. They have shoved to the front this one they have dragged by rope like a sacrificial bull through the slumbering alleyways of Jerusalem. They have shoved the prisoner to the front. The governor first sees him and then them. And the encounter here in the Gospel of St. John chapter 18 begins. We were going to go to this encounter and look at a paradigm for a postmodern generation that is now journeying into a new millennium. We'll still meet that generation this spring. But I'm under conviction that we need to go to this encounter for the generation that is deep within our own spirits and souls today. Please open your Bible if you haven't yet. The Gospel of John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they, that's the religious hierarchy of Jerusalem, the kangaroo court has assembled contrary to their own law, while the sun is down, the rump court has trumped up charges that could not, according to their own ecclesiastical jurisprudence, the charges cannot stick. But they met anyway, all night, this court. And now, it says here in verse 28, they lead Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest that year in the holy city, to the praetorium, this is the New King James Version. Praetorium, that's the governor's mansion, the residence, the court, the Roman, the hated Roman real estate in the heart of Jerusalem. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. It is clear from the language in the Greek, it is not yet six o'clock. They are going to be there when the clock, Big Ben over Jerusalem, strikes six. They have to get in court, and they have to get immediately in court. They know that if the word seeps out into a still slumbering city, the populace will rise up. So head over heels are the masses over this itinerant vagabond Galilean teacher. They know you've got to get to court at six. They've awakened the judge. It is early in the morning. But, oh, notice this. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. I don't know if the bitter irony of this strikes you as it does me. They are preparing to celebrate the Passover. And in order to preserve their ritual ceremonial purity, they refused to cross the threshold of Pilate. All the while, their moral hands are already dripping with the blood of the Passover lamb. But they don't, they don't want to get dirty. 
And I'd be hard on those prelates and priests were it not that I see myself in that very moment. How often am I so sanctimonious about some sort of public quirk, some sort of ceremonial rule that I want to make sure everybody knows I do it just fine, thank you. So, so eager for the world to see how perfunctory my faith. How often, like those priests, I go through the outward motions, but inside my heart has yet to make radical commitment, at least for that day, to the same Lamb of God. We go through the motions. Don't, don't, don't get me dirty. I'm going to worship later. We are no different. They can't go in. And so Pilate has to come out. He has to cross the threshold. He has to go out his gate to meet the delegation. And Pilate went out, verse 29, then went out to them, and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? He already looked in the eyes. Already the heart of Pilate. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it might be a postmodern pagan generation out there. It only takes one look at Jesus, one look at the prisoner, and already the heart being drawn. Pilate can tell, some, what, what is wrong with this picture? Something doesn't quite add up. What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, they cannot say. If they say blasphemy, which is what they're after, if they say blasphemy, it's over. There is no law against blasphemy in the imperial system. They can't say. So they have to, they, they call out to him in verse 30, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Just trust us. Trust us, governor. He's a bad man and we need his death. Pilate says, okay. He's going to play their game. Okay. You want me to trust you? I trust you. You take him. Do what you will with your law. That's his next retort. And they shoot back halfway through verse 31. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. It's true. Since 6 A.D., when Judea became a Roman province, can't do it. Rome came in and said, No way. You can no more ever take a life without the ratification of the Roman governor. You want to take a life? You want capital punishment? You come to us. Since 6 AD. They're right. But John, in a parenthetical insertion into the Gospel account, notice what John puts in verse 32. Ah, they said this. It's unlawful for us to put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which He spoke, signifying of what death He would die. Because you know what? If the Jews could have executed a capital punishment for blasphemy, you know what the punishment is? Stoning. Twice already in the Gospel of John, they have attempted. It says they, they stooped over, picked up stones to stone him. Twice they have attempted. Rogue rushed to judgment. They have attempted to stone him. But Jesus, last Tuesday, this is Friday morning, and you and I were at last Tuesday, last Sabbath. Jesus, last Tuesday, said, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And the very next verse, John 12:33, This he spoke, signifying the manner of death with which he would die. Lifted up from the earth. That's not stoning. You're going to have to be hoisted between heaven and earth. It has to be Rome that writes the death decree. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again. And he called Jesus. Okay? Come, 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 come. He called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus, I'm telling you, don't you love the Savior at this moment? His hands are bound behind Him. His face bruised and bloodied. But Jesus looks into the face of that pagan career politician and senses 
There is yet a moment to reach this doomed man. And the interrogatee becomes the interrogator. And Jesus answers his question with a question. Are you? Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? I want to know. Is it out of your heart that you wish to know who I am? Or are you simply here repeating rumors you have heard? How many times does this same Christ knock at our doorway and ask us the identical question? Are you in church? Are you in church because your employment requires you to be? Have you come here to simply be seen? Or are you, are you asking me as one who is hungry for what I have to offer? Pilate knows immediately of which Jesus speaks. That little classic on the life of Christ as our ages says this. This is Pilate's golden opportunity. You know what a golden opportunity is? A golden opportunity is that moment which you may never have again to experience the full reality of that single, solitary second. It is a fleeting moment, but one moment you and I have to choose to make the choice. And Jesus asked him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate, realizing that the interrogation has already gotten out of his hands, snaps back, and the rest of the conversation proceeds. Pilate answered, verse 35, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, the chief priests, have delivered you to me. What am I supposed to know about this? What have you done? I ask the questions around here, boy. What have you done? And Jesus answered, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Aha, Pilate said, you are a king, aren't you? Therefore, you are a king. Jesus answered in verse 37, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. The governor steps back one step and looking into that battered face, he asks that immortal question, what is truth? That was Pilate's golden opportunity. The clamor of the crowd drew him away and he never again seized the day or the moment. Desire of Ages, commenting on that last moment. Take a look at this. Desire of Ages. Pilate had a desire to know the truth. His mind was confused. He eagerly grasped the words of the Savior. And his heart was stirred with a great longing to know what it really was and how he could obtain it. What is truth? He inquired. 
But he did not wait for an answer. Pilate's golden opportunity had passed. Jewish historian Josephus in his Antiquities tells us that five years later, Caesar did remove Pilate from his governorship. And in shame and despondency, subsequently, Pilate committed suicide. I realize that the parallels are strong within this Good Friday narrative to prompt us to think of a pagan world around us and how much like Pilate the pagan world is. Godless, curious, always seeking but never settling. A postmodern generation, no absolutes. I mean, what is truth? I mean, what is truth? No absolutes. And while that was where this morning was supposed to go, I'm under conviction that this morning needs to stop right here. And that really, rather than asking, it's just the question the world asks, what is truth? We need to ask ourselves, what is the truth about our relationship, our encounter with the same prisoner? You know, you think about Pilate. He had all the accoutrements of success. He had everything that spells you have made it to the top. He had a position. He had power. He had wealth. He had a beautiful wife, apparently. But something in the heart of this man who had it all was struggling with the realization he really didn't have what matters most. He had it all. But he had nothing. And when Jesus stands there bound and bruised in front of him, he senses that gnawing. He senses the hunger of that heart. And his heart, his hands can't, but his heart reaches out and begins to draw. Hey, Pilate, do you really want me? You know, you can be born in the church. I suppose half this audience has been born in the church. I like to think we've been born saved. You can grow up in the system. You can have all the accoutrements of professional success on this campus, in the community. You can look just fine and you wear that well-manicured face and everything says, I got it together. I am seen where I need to be seen. I move through the motions. My life is spent altruistically. And yet could it be that somehow in the heart of our hearts there is a realization that we have yet to make a complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I would like to give us, anybody here, 
anybody here an opportunity to make a complete surrender to Jesus Christ. That's it. You may work for the church. You may attend a church. You may never have gone to a church before in your life. You may be as pagan as Pilate. It doesn't matter. Shall we take this moment, unplanned, unprepared, nobody came today prepared to make a full surrender, but shall we take this moment before the crucified, lifted up Savior And make the choice that Pilate almost made. Just like Felix. Almost. Agrippa. Almost. You persuade me. Almost. Five years later, he's gone. You know what? God was making a play for this man's heart. His wife. Pilate has to... You know, dragged out of bed. He leaves his wife sleeping. You remember, in the course of the trial, his wife scribbles on her perfume stationery. A note to her man. And the note reads, have nothing to do with this man. I have suffered much in a dream from him this morning. Let him go. Do you know what? Three times, Pilate, before that crowd, declared the innocence of Jesus Christ. Three times, he said, I, I, there's nothing wrong with him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Three times, I find no fault in this man. God is making a play for Pilate's heart. It is a battle till he finally says no. I believe the world is filled with men and women and young adults just like Pontius Pilate. I believe that's why God raised paper today up. To reach a pagan world. I believe that's why this church exists. To interface with a lost world. But before we move a step further in our mission journey this spring, I just, I'm under the conviction we need to make public even as Pilate was called to make our surrender to this Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when Pilate asks the question, what is truth? You know what's so haunting? Is the realization that he is, what is it, 18, three feet. He is three feet away. In that bloody prisoner, he is three feet away from the embodiment of truth. Twelve hours before the prisoner stands in front of Pilate, he says to a little circle of men around him, what is it, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Pilate could know that in this man is all the forgiveness for his guilt, the, the turmoil of his shame, gone in this man, if Pilate could know that in this man is all the hope that, that, his, that his power conscious heart has hungered for, if Pilate could know in this man is a peace. Everything he longs for is in that prisoner and everything within him wants to reach out. It is his golden opportunity. And he said, another time. And so my appeal today is a simple one, unrehearsed as it is. 
And that is, if there's somebody here that has yet to make a full surrender to this same Lord Jesus Christ, we can't leave this place without giving your heart an opportunity to respond. If you know that Jesus is calling you to make a full, complete, radical surrender to Him, embrace Him as Savior and Lord, I'd like to invite you to come up out of your pew right now and come here to the front. I'd like to pray with you. not a call for general rededication. You know you have yet to make a full, complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like you to come here to the front. And let this be a saving moment for you. It was a golden opportunity for Pilate. It was the splendid moment when he could have chosen you know what? Pilate would have lost his job. I promise you. He would have lost his job. Pilate was right. He, he has his career to worry about. You know, how, can I, how can I go on with my career if I make a complete and radical surrender to Jesus Christ? Pilate would have lost his job. But do you know what? The same Caesar that removed him would have been the Caesar that one day would have bowed his knee to worship Pilate's new friend and Savior. He'd have lost it all. He'd have lost his, he'd have lost his portfolios. He'd have lost his prestige. He'd have lost everything he has. He would have lost it. But my friends, in losing everything, Pilate, Friday morning, 6 o'clock, Pilate would have found eternity. And he, will be in the, he would have been in the kingdom. Pilate will not be in the kingdom. He will not be in the kingdom. He died a man without hope. For five years, that guilty conscience gnawed him. I sent an innocent man who perhaps was God himself to death. He took his life. I'm telling you, if God, through Christ Jesus, is standing in front of your heart right now, and He's asking you to make a full and complete surrender to Jesus, and make it right here in front of your wife, Right now. Make it in front of your husband. Make it in front of your classmates. Make it in front of your colleagues. What is this? Oh, it's too embarrassing. <laughs> you think it was easy for Jesus? You don't think it was embarrassing to drag a cross out of that judgment hall up Calvary? What are you talking about? Of course it's embarrassing. It's the upside down kingdom. Whenever you come to Him, it's, it's, it's exactly reversed from this kingdom that we live in. What is truth? And the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life is standing right in front of Pilate's mind. Pilate sees through the battery and he knows this is God. But for the sake of expediency and public pressure, 
I can't. I, I cannot do this. He would die a lost man. Is there anybody else? Anybody else here? God bless you.